This podcast is sponsored by Calypso Technology. Calypso is the leading provider of front-to-back office technology solutions for the financial markets. With 18 years of experience delivering cross-asset solutions for trading, processing, risk management, and accounting, Calypso is able to focus its significant resources on customer problems, bringing simplicity to the most complex business and technology issues. The constant pressures for better allocation of capital and improved risk management matched by an ever-changing regulatory landscape in the financial markets demand technology solutions that are reliable, adaptable, and scalable. In response, Calypso provides customers with a single platform designed from the outset to enable consolidation, innovation, and growth. The result is compelling. Faster time to new markets, enterprise risk reduction, and lower technology costs drive immediate improvements to its customers' bottom line. To find out more, please visit Calypso.com. Hello, and welcome to a DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. The spotlight on derivatives is often shone on the clearing side, but legislation such as the CFTC's risk controls and system safeguards for automated trading and ESMA's guidelines on automated trading is increasing the focus on pre-trade risk controls, post-trade measures, system safeguards, and other protections for both market participants and trading platforms. With us in this podcast, we have Sanjay Shah, CTO of Nanospeed, talks to us in this DerivSource podcast about how regulations are reshaping the industry and the role that connectivity solutions have to play. Here is DerivSource reporter, Lynn Strong and Dodds, speaking to Sanjay Shah. Hi, this is Lynn Strong and Dodds. We are talking to Sanjay Shah, CTO of Nanospeed. Thank you very much for taking part in our podcast. Yes, hi, Lynn, and uh, thanks very much for uh, inviting me to this, and hello, everyone. This is part of a series we are doing on risk for derivatives. So the first question is really a broad one. What are the main pre-trade risks for derivatives? Yes, the main pre-trade risks that uh, risk checks that uh, are performed in derivatives uh, trading are, uh, for example, things like per-instrument buy-sell restrictions, price limit checks, so this would be percentage away from the last traded price, for example, plus 20%, minus 15%, order quantity limits, uh, so, for example, uh, you're trading a particular derivative, particular option, and... Uh, you might have a limit of, say, 100,000 of those options uh, per order. So that would be one of those things. Uh, then uh, there would be other things like uh, notional value limit, uh, or sometimes it's called consideration, which is uh, basically price times quantity. Then there would be something called uh, average daily volume check, so volume checks for features and options. And then there would be also some client-specific restrictions like uh, the number of orders a second or number of orders every three seconds. Uh, So those sort of things are uh, the main sort of pre-trade risk checks. 
Thank you. And what impact is regulation, most notably the guidelines set by CFTC, so risk controls and system safeguards for automated trading in the U.S. and in Europe, ESMA's guideline on automated trading, what impact is that having on the derivative industry? So all the derivative uh, prop desks are taking these guidelines very seriously because uh, they will become regulation soon, probably. Now, the reason I say probably is because, for example, the concept release that has, uh, you know, by CFTC, that has received uh, a lot of comments. Uh, they put it out for comments. So over the last uh, year and a half, uh, there have been comments coming from people for that. Uh, now CFTC are considering what to do next. And this is as of uh, beginning of this month. So what will probably happen, like with uh, other regulations that uh, CFTC has brought out, is that uh, during the course of uh, the next six months, a year, they will start to actually introduce this as a regulation. So not just a guideline, but it will then become uh, you know, something that people will have to follow. So prop desks are taking this uh, very seriously at the moment. And uh, these particular guidelines, they are broadly based on uh, some of the things that I said, like, for example, the price limit checks, order quantity limit checks, notional value checks, uh, those sort of things. So it is very important for prop desks who are trading derivatives to be taking this seriously at the moment. And high frequency is often talked about in terms of equities, but what is the impact or is it an issue, high frequency trading for derivative traders? And if so, why and how? Yes, uh, high-frequency trading is uh, quite uh, a common thing that uh, a lot of derivative traders are doing. So these would be basically something which is over 100,000 shares that they might be trading every second or so. Uh, that would be classed as high-frequency. And, uh, you know, the sort of levels that we're talking about, there's quite a lot of traders who would be classed as high-frequency traders. That's not to say that high-frequency trading is a bad thing to do. It's, it's a very common practice, and when it's done properly in a regulated market, then it has good impact on the market. You have large volumes, so it is generally a good thing. And what type of pre-trade risk checks need to be in place, and is this for every order that is sent? Yes, actually, these sort of risk checks that I mentioned, uh, that would be for every order that is sent. So, for example, you know, per instrument, buy or sell limit. So if a particular instrument is traded and uh, there is a limit set on that, then that would be being checked on every order that that particular instrument is being traded on. And why is your ultra-fast? field programmable gate array, or what is known in the industry as FPGA, connectivity solutions relevant to derivative traders? So these risk checks are commonly done in software at the moment, and uh, they have quite a large latency impact on the system. And the worst thing is that sometimes the latency impact is undefined, you know, for one particular 
order, it might be 100 microseconds. For another order, battery check might take uh, 200 microseconds. So there is a little bit of an uncertainty there. And uh, with the FPGA solutions, it actually tackles both of those issues. Uh, firstly, FPGAs uh, are very good at processing everything in a parallel way. So whereas with software, a lot of these risk checks might be, say, if it's 20 risk checks, they might be doing these risk checks in a serial fashion, one after the other. In an FPGA, all 20 of those risk checks would be started in parallel and pretty much finish in parallel as well. And the other thing is that the uncertainty or jitter, as they call it in the industry, is avoided in the FPGAs because there isn't an overhead of an operating system on this, like, say, for example, a Windows or a Linux operating systems like you would have with a software solutions. So then, you know, if a particular risk check takes for example, 100 nanoseconds, then it will always take 100 nanoseconds. And uh, it won't take 110 nanoseconds, or it definitely won't take a microsecond to do that. Uh, so the jitter aspect is completely tackled or avoided by FPGA solutions. There is a perception, though, that the uh, FPGA technology is unreliable. What have been the problems in the past, and how does your product differ? So, yes, there have been some issues of unreliability with FPGA systems, with some FPGA systems. Now, FPGA systems traditionally have been um, able to do things in a fairly simple way. If you have quite a complex problem with a lot of different parameters, then FPGAs sometimes are not uh, very good at uh, handling that. But that was the case a few years ago. Now, FPGA technology is mature and uh, it's actually, you know, the FPGAs themselves are getting bigger and bigger. For example, the largest FPGA on the market uh, fairly soon now, not today, I mean, it is available in engineering silicon, is an FPGA called uh, Stratic 10 by Altera. And that one has uh, 10 billion transistors in there, which is about double the number of transistors that uh, you have in the largest, say, Intel Xeon processors. So they are becoming big, they're becoming, they are able to solve fairly complex tasks now. And uh, what we have found is that there has been reliability issues, but uh, there are some companies, including Nanospeed, that uh, have backgrounds uh, from, say, the aerospace industry or the space industry or some other industries uh, that have reliability as their center of uh, all their design development, their testing. So it is very important to tackle the reliability issue. And uh, a lot of companies, including Nanospeed, are tackling that by having, you know, the uh, sort of aerospace background. And um, who do you see as your main competition? So there are quite a few companies, vendors, who have brought out some solutions in the pre-trade risk check area. There are some which are based in the U.S., uh, some in Europe, and there are one or two cropping up in Asia as well. At the moment, we don't actually see that there is a huge amount of competition. There are only a handful of people, a handful of vendors actually doing this. Uh, there are a lot of banks and operating companies who 
try to do it in-house, uh, but it is difficult to find the FPGA expertise to be able to do this in-house. FPGA expertise is uh, slightly, you know, it's subtly different from, say, the software expertise. You can't get software engineers to easily do FPGA, so it is a field that, you know, requires slightly different thinking to the traditional software engineering skills. But, you know, there's enough slice of the cake for everyone at the moment. And looking ahead, would that still be the case? In general, how do you see the industry developing? Yes, I think the SPGA side of things for doing pre-trade risk checks is very, very good because of the parallelism involved in SPGAs and uh, the lack of jitter or, or avoidance of jitter. The other term that a lot of people use for this is determinism. So, you know, it gives a deterministic performance. And uh, for those reasons, FPGA-based solutions uh, for pre-trade risk checks are here to stay, in my opinion. And uh, with the FPGAs becoming more and more mainstream, I think it's possible that FPGA-based solutions will be more and more prevalent in the industry going forward. And in your own business looking ahead, what are your greatest challenges as well as the opportunities? I think challenges are always the new regulations that uh, come out in the industry. And I think it's a good thing that the industry becomes more and more regulated. And to keep up with uh, these regulations, uh, that's uh, sometimes a bit of a challenge. You've obviously got, you know, CFTC and ESMA that we mentioned, and also MIFID two is coming very soon in, in Europe. So that has its own sort of challenges for the uh, FPGA industry for the trading industry in general. So I think there are a lot of challenges based on uh, the regulations. And in terms of opportunities, as I mentioned, FPGA technology is becoming a lot more mainstream. It's becoming more usable, you know, very complex FPGAs are possible. So you can actually have fairly complex solutions akin to software type solutions that you can implement on the FPGAs and Nanospeed are doing a lot of complex things which you wouldn't have dreamt of doing on FPGAs before. You know, these would have been done in software-based systems which would have, you know, all the flexibilities that uh, you would not associate with FPGAs. Uh, so I think there's a lot of opportunities for FPGAs to become more like software-based, fairly flexible and fairly good sort of systems in the future. Well, thank you very much. It's been very insightful. And uh, again, thank you for taking part. Thanks very much, Lynn. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to this DerivSource podcast. If you would like more information on this topic, including the full transcript of this podcast, please go to the podcast notes page available on DerivSource.com and also via our app. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing to it in iTunes or listening straight from our DerivSource app. Thank you for listening. Join us next time.